Griffin, if you've read any of his stuff, he's very particular type of prose and his voice is very unique. And, uh, you know, it's not like, it's not like Anders and Wilson. And we, we sort of said that to Tom, like, you know, you know, we don't write like him. He's like, oh, I know, I know. He's like, and here's my advice to you guys. I want you to just tell the best story that you can uh, and write it your way. Pay homage to the characters and the ethos and the canon of the Presidential Agent series. But do not, whatever you do, do not try to write like him because you will fail. An excerpt from one of today's guests, speaking about taking over the reins of the W.E.B. Griffin Presidential Agent series. Military thriller authors Jeff Andrews and Brian Wilson are here, and I'll speak with them about Rogue Asset right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spirit. Next time you're on YouTube, check out our Point of the Spirit YouTube channel. We've got bonus video material from podcasts plus tons of military history videos, including full-length documentaries. It's a great way to spend some time, and don't forget to subscribe while you're there. And click the bell icon so you'll be notified of all the great weekly videos we're uploading. Welcome back. Today's guests are former U.S. Naval officers who've come together to write some of the most action-packed military thrillers out there. Their latest novel is called Rogue Asset. And the writing duo are Brian Andrews and Jeff Wilson. Join us now. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us, man. We appreciate it. Well, we're Glad honored. to be here. We're honored. Two military men. Uh, you both have uh, backgrounds in the military. Is that what drew you to this genre? Yeah, I mean, I think we were both avid readers. And it's hard to imagine, you know, serving the military, not having picked up a Tom Clancy sometime in your past. So, um, you know... When you're out there in the military, there's lots of time for reading. I think you'll find these types of books, the Ludlum books, the Clancy books. People are sharing them, handing them around in, in the ship's libraries and things like that. So I definitely was a fan of the genre before I started writing, but I wasn't a writer at the time. So when I was a submarine officer, you know, I like to joke that, you know, on a submarine, you have these long periods of boredom. <laughs> You're just cruising around trying to be quiet, do not be detected. And then something terrible will happen. You know, something exciting, something terrible, something stressful. And everybody's heart rate goes up to a million and you get through that and then it's back to boredom. But during those long periods of boredom, you know, one of the ways that, that we would pass the time is we would tell stories. Mm. And so I sort of feel like, you know, I got interested in storytelling just from this idea, this sort of old human tradition of, hey, we're sitting around the campfire, we're telling stories to entertain ourselves. In my case, we're sitting around the nuclear reactor telling stories to entertain, entertain ourselves. Um, but that's kind of how I got, you know, interested in this idea of storytelling. I think Jeff was always writing, though, right? Even from yeah, a little kid. I was, I was always writing. I think what's interesting, you know, to come back to the the question about genre, how we found ourselves in this genre. What's interesting is, you know, when Brian and I met, we were both writing. Um, I, as he said, I've been writing my whole life. I published my first short story when I was 14. I've just always, it's been a part of who I am my whole life. But I think that when Brian and I met, we both had books out, but neither of us were really writing in the military thriller space. Uh, Brian was yeah. writing thrillers for sure. I was actually writing more supernatural thrillers. And I was doing like biotech stuff. And Yeah. And I think that it's an interesting question about how we come to this genre. You'd think we both would have been writing in it already because we were both military men. But what was interesting was when Brian and I came together, it sort of restirred a lot of that uh, military ethos in us. You know, in the military, everything is 
team before self, mission before self. Everything is team oriented. There's no, there's no guy that is the guy. It's all the team. And um, when Brian and I met, we actually met in New York at uh, at Thriller Fest, the ITW event that happens every year with both debut authors. When we met, it was based on those shared experiences. We were both military. I was actually seeking out other people who were military because I'm a little socially inept. And so I was looking for people I would have something to talk to uh, with at this, these cocktail parties and such. So um our friendship base was based on those shared experiences and the fact that we both are very family oriented and are we have a similar faith and we had kids the same age and after we became friends brian i have to say gets the credit for the idea of us co-authoring and his idea was gosh i've been in submarines you've worked with naval special warfare there must be a way we can pull this together and co-author and so really the military genre where we've been so successful that came later in our writing careers um, we'd both been writing independently before that, but it's clearly being able to write in that space has been the key to our success. Yeah, definitely. And this latest book, you know, Rogue Asset with the W.E.B. Griffin, that's the ninth in his presidential agent series. How did that come about where you write his stories? Well, you know, these, there's a lot of estate deals. You've got the Ludlam estate, you have the Clancy estate, um, Griffin, and there's many others. And everybody's story for how they came to be are different, I'm sure. In our case, um, we had a relationship with Tom Colgan, who's the editor at Penguin, um, who is uh, managing those estate projects. He had been Griffin's editor. And when they decided that they wanted to bring this series back uh, on behalf of the estate, uh, it was his job to find the writers to do it. We knew him through ITW. Uh, we'd actually had lunch before, and and he was excited to maybe try to find some something we could partner in. He wanted to bring us over at Penguin and do something. He didn't know what, but he wanted to do something. So he called us up one day, and um, we all went out to dinner in New York, and he dropped that bomb on us that, uh, hey, I have this idea. Maybe you guys could do this. And um, so it was. he had to run it by the estate, of course. And so the estate and Tom together uh, decided that we would be the ones to, to write the next book. And I got to tell you that that experience was amazing. Um, we went from being flattered and excited and pumped up to suddenly feeling the weight of writing in the, in the footsteps of such an icon. It was a little intimidating, to be honest with you. Now, obviously, we were already pretty successful with our series, but that's not the same as writing for somebody else. Right, Brian? Yeah. And we, we were like, what, how, how do we write like this guy? You know, we were sort of talking to Tom, like, cause Griffin, if you've read any of his stuff, he's very particular type of prose and his voice is very unique. And uh, you know, it's not like, it's not like Andrews and Wilson. And we, we sort of said that to Tom, like, you know, you know, we don't write like him. And he's like, Oh, I know. I know. He's like, and here's my advice to you guys. I want you to just tell the best story that you can uh, and write it your way, pay homage to the characters and the ethos and the canon of the presidential agent series, but do not, whatever you do, do not try to write like him because you will fail. And for us, that was like, oh, take a big weight off of our back because, you know, you, you can't, you can't ape the master. People are too savvy for that. They're going to see that and they're going to look right through and they're like, yeah, these guys tried to write like him. They just can't do it. So we just said, all right, take that off the table, write the way we write, very liberating for us. We had a lot of momentum on this book. And, uh, you know, we just hoped that the fans would uh, sort of embrace 
our storytelling and, and they have. So the book's done very well and the reviews have been good. So we're excited. I'm glad that's it, done well because on a project like that, the critics are just lining up to, <laughs> you know, yeah. to crucify you. <laughs> but, <laughs> your last book, Dark Intercept, um, I was reading through some of the reviews and one reviewer mentioned that the book ushers in a new era in Christian thrillers. And that's how I discovered you, uh, you guys. It seems like you're breaking new ground in this genre uh, that I didn't really know existed. Do you think Christian thrillers are going to be, become more prominent? Yeah, we hope so. Um, I, I'll tell you where the credit goes for this. this. The story is something we had sort of in a drawer talking about, brainstorming out, and had been for how long, Brian? It must Two years, three I mean, years. we'd started this one like right around tier one. We were yeah, brainstorming. Yeah. So we've been brainstorming it. We, we'd come back to it and we'd write a little bit. Um, but really the credit for this, you know, expanding the genre of Christian thrillers, that goes to Tyndale House because Tyndale had decided, look, this is a new era. You know, this is um, something we want to do. We want to attract more male readers. We want to get into action space. And so they approached us. Uh, they, they learned of us through a, a mutual friend, uh, Josh Hood, who writes the Treadstone series, who's a man of very powerful faith. And they had, that's actually a funny story. Josh was on an airplane with uh, one of their acquisition people by coincidence. And they were chatting and she really found out he was a writer and they talked about their faith. And she goes, you know, we're going to, we have this new mission to grow action adventure. We, do you have something for us? And Josh being Josh said, no, uh, <laughs> I don't really, I don't really do that. I just you know, kill terrorists and blah, blah, blah. He said, but you, but we had talked to him about this project. He said, but Jeff and, and Brian have something. You should talk to them. So he told us about that and we were like, oh, okay. And then a few days later, darn if we didn't get a phone call from our agents, like, hey, the Indo wants to talk to you. And so we, we told them what our view was of the project, but we also talked a lot, um, us and them, um, about this shared vision we had. You know, as a, as a man of faith, I still go see the next Jason Bourne movie. I'm going to watch the Mission Impossible movie when it comes out. I can't wait to watch it. So right. the, these things are not mutually exclusive, and the need to find good content, exciting content for readers who also have a faith is, has been something that's out there for years and years. So kudos to Tyndale for stepping up and doing it. And we're just so excited to be able to, to write in that space. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Next time, best-selling author R.J. Patterson stops by to speak about his Cold War spy series. As I, you know, I kind of, I don't know, there's this romantic, you know, romanticized idea I had in my head of the Cold War and what it was like to spy. But back then, you know, the spycraft was still, you know, it was devoid of all the gadgets and everything that you have today. I really wanted to tell some stories about that, but it was like, these were real stories and real people that were trying to figure out how do we get information and, you know, translate that into intelligence that can help us stop the Russians from doing whatever we think they're going to be doing. That's next time. March 25th is National Medal of Honor Day. In my new book, Immortal Valor, about the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II, is out now. The book chronicles these immortal heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle up until their ultimate triumph. I hope you check out Immortal Valor, which is on sale now as we celebrate all Medal of Honor recipients on March 25th. Now back to the conversation. And I think another part of this whole idea 
uh, and this is something that we spent a lot of time talking about is that, you know, why does it have to be that these questions of faith or, or maybe more importantly in this, in this story is Jed's crisis of faith. Why do these things have to be something that, you know, are separate? Why does it have to be something that a, a veteran has to figure out on their own in silence or, you know, separate from what they read and what they're thinking about? Because that's not how life is. I mean, when you're True. serving, these questions come up in your mind, you know, is this what God would want me to do? Is this moral? Am I doing the right thing? And so you're wrestling with these things when you're at the pointy tip of the spear, when you're engaging the enemy and conducting missions. So it seems like quite a big hole in, in the whole genre that there's not discussion about this in, in storytelling. Uh, so that, you know, Jeff likes to say, you know, these are things that everybody's already think about. Why is it groundbreaking that we're mentioning them? That is already part of what the dialogue is amongst veterans. So we're just putting it on the page. And um, the, the trick now, though, is just getting, you know, the word out and finding the reader's uh, discovery, you know, because a lot of folks don't, like you said, they don't know that there is such a genre. So we have to, they have to discover it and find this series and, and realize that, hey, yeah, there is Christian thriller fiction, men's adventure fiction uh, from Tyndale House. I discovered it because I, I started a thriller series a couple of years ago, but it didn't feel like it was uh, the normal, uh, you know, kill terrorists. It was a little bit different. It was more faith-based, um, as, as my films have been. So that's how I, how I found you, too. I just um, said, there's got to, I wonder if there's Christian <laughs> thrillers. And, uh, and it kind of, it felt like the book that I'm in the process of writing, uh, a thriller that's faith-based, but... Uh, that's very encouraging. So, and you probably, this resonates with you then, this idea that of how universal those things are, right? Like the yeah. idea that, you know, we had a lot of people say, wow, what a risk to go in that direction, to change direction. We don't feel like we've changed direction at all. We feel yeah. like this is no different than Sons of Valor or Tier One or Rogue Asset. We didn't take anything away. We added something. We added another layer of a yeah. universal human question, you know, and no matter where you end up on in your answer, the idea that we ask these questions is so universal that it almost is a more absurd that it isn't already in fiction, right? Rather than the other way around. I agree. I agree. There's a void there that, uh, you know, everyone deals with, which is very important, crucial. In your writing, do you delegate the tasks like, does, uh, do, uh, one of you take the action, does another handle the dialogue, or do you both write the story together? Uh, uh, can I answer that, Jeff? He's, he's going to say that he writes all the books and then I'm just the person. No, what I, what I was going to say is that typically most books, I pick all the nouns. And Jeff <laughs> okay. picks the verbs. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, you know, every there's only a handful of co successful co-authoring teams out there. Uh, in any genre and only a few in ours. And what's interesting, what we've learned over the, you know, we've been doing it for a while now, 15 books or whatever it is. And what's interesting, we meet these people and what they do and what we do could not possibly be more different. So you're, there's not a formula for co-authoring, but there's a formula for each individual group of co-authors. And ours is actually what you described. We write together. We write at the same time and we divide not by 
action or drama or anything like that. We just divide by chapters and characters. So like in the first part, we, you know, we do a typical three act structure. So we'll brainstorm out part one, which Brian, would you agree is the most fun? Like it's, that's when we get to, yeah. like, we're like eighth graders, like, Oh dude, you know what else could happen? Oh no, 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 no. I know. Let's do this. Um, so we do that for a couple of weeks and then we divide it up and Brian might be writing, you know, chapters one, two, four, nine, I'm writing the other chapters. And then we write several chapters. We talk three or four times a day and every few chapters we exchange them and we rewrite each other's chapters to get that unified voice. And then they go in a master file. And at the end we do an edit together. So uh, it is a little weird. Um, we've been told <laughs> by more than one person to write simultaneously, but um, it definitely, definitely works for us. There's no question. We have strengths and weaknesses. We're never going to confess what they are, of course, but um, of course. You know, he has, he has lots of strengths. I have lots of weaknesses and he carries me along. And um, somehow between us, we equal one decent writer. So we're both, we're both half a writer, right? Do you uh, surprise each other with when you're writing, you know, chapters ahead? Do you come back? Constantly. And, oh, I didn't Constantly. think of that. Or, or that's great. I think that's the best part about this arrangement. I mean, if I had to pick a comp it's sort of like a writer's room like maybe on a tv show that's kind of what it's like for us i mean we're developing the story as we go along and um you know that back and forth um that is the engine you know that's what keeps us going and that's that's why we don't have writer's block you know i think with a lot of authors they get stuck they don't know who they're writing by themselves you know who are they going to talk to who's up to speed on the story they could maybe talk to their spouse or their partner and they say, well, you know, they have to explain everything up to where they were. And do you have an idea about that? And then that person may or may not be a creative or they're not in the business, you know, but we're, you know, on this, we're like hiking this mountain at the same time. So it's like, pull this, pull, pull me up. I got a rock to climb or whatever. I am out of water. Okay. You take some of my water. I mean, so it's that back and forth sharing ideas, um, and, and giving the other guy like the momentum. And uh, it's really, really fun. And uh, so we always talk about like, gosh, could we write by ourselves anymore? Like probably be a pretty terrible yeah, product. I was, I was wondering about that. If, if you could release a book on your, you know, a, a independent book uh, from now. We could and they'd just be terrible. <laughs> I think, you know, it's all joking aside. I think that if I, I think we could, if we had the time, which we don't, because we're releasing yeah. like four books a year for the next for the foreseeable future. So it's not an option. But I will say that if I were to write a book by myself um, and I'm not I'm not just trying to kiss Brian's butt here. But if I were to write a book by myself after 15 books with Brian, I think I could do it. And I actually think it would be better than the books I wrote before we co-authored. I think that, um, you know, you talked about strengths and weaknesses earlier. We definitely each have our own strengths, our own weaknesses, but I have learned from Brian and improved on my weaknesses. And I suspect he has done the same. So the writer I would be by myself now would be a much more talented writer than I was before we worked together. Yeah. Same for me. That's, that's, well, you that's had to say statement. that. Like, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't have to. <laughs> I can just say <laughs> Um, is there a book that you're both working on now? Is there is there a new one in the pipeline? Always. Well, there's a couple. In the, we always have a couple in the pipeline. Do tell. I mean, the fun thing about our system is that because we have these crazy backgrounds, we did so many different things. I mean, Jeff was a surgeon and he's a pilot and was with Naval Special Warfare and I was a submarine guy and 
did psychology and entrepreneurship, and we have a lot of interests. I think we're both naturally very curious people. Like we're interested in geopolitics, we're interested in technology, we're interested in the human condition and sort of how all these things match together. So we love our military thrillers and Cobra operations. That's our bread and butter. We're never going to stop writing those. We love those. But we also like, you know, what's happening with artificial intelligence? How's that going to affect, you know, covert operations? How's that going to affect police investigations? How's that going to affect business? How's that going to affect the way that people, I don't know, solve a murder mystery, things like that. So we have a couple of really cool projects in the pipeline um, that are more in that speculative fiction type of space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's 2023 for us. The first book in the uh, series of techno thrillers comes out. First one is called The Sandbox. Uh, we have another one in development called Aria. Um, and then, you know, every few months. So the second book in the in the Shepherd series, uh, Dark Angel, comes out in April. In June, we have the second book in the Sons of Valor series, which is our spinoff from the Tier One. Uh, that comes out in June. In the fall, what, what's in the fall, Brian? Oh, Dark, Dark Fall. Dark, Dark Fall is in the is in uh, coming this autumn. Um, the third book in the Shepherd series, and yes, for those of you that keep sending us mail, Tier One is still up and running. Book seven in the Tier One series, Dempsey, comes out next winter, uh, and then we start to release these techno thrillers like he's talking about. So we got a lot going on. The Shepherd series, since uh, this will be of interest to you because you're a writer and a filmmaker, uh, has been optioned for television. So we're going to be developing a TV series based on that series of books. And then we have some other media stuff that we're you're just a couple days too early for us to talk about, but we'll have some fun announcements coming up about some other media deals that we have going. Very on. good. Well, the latest book is called Rogue Asset and it's available everywhere. Brian, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for Thanks having us. Very good. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for joining me. Next time, best-selling author R.J. Patterson stops by to speak about his Cold War spy series. As I, you know, I kind of, I don't know, there's this romantic, you know, romanticized idea I had in my head of the Cold War and what it was like to spy. But back then, you know, the spycraft was still, you know, it was devoid of all the gadgets and everything that you have today. I really wanted to tell some stories about that, but it was like, these were real stories and real people that were trying to figure out how do we get information and you know, translate that into intelligence that can help us stop the Russians from doing whatever we think they're going to be doing. That's next time. And if you like what you hear, leave a review or a rating or just click the follow button. And be sure to check out our Point of the Spear YouTube channel with bonus video material plus full military history documentaries. There's tons to explore, and I hope you check it out. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spear. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.